College football is back, a full slate of Saturday games less than one week away. But we begin College Football Live with some breaking news. The effects of Hurricane Ida being felt in Louisiana. Tulane set to welcome in Oklahoma on Saturday. But sources say the teams are working to relocate the game to Norman. School officials say no decision has been made. Tulane's football team had already been re relocated to Birmingham, Alabama for practice this week. We will continue following that story here on College Football Live. But right now, alongside Harry Lyles Jr. and Tom Luganbill, I'm Kelsey Riggs. And a lot to get to because, as I mentioned, Football is back. We got some week zero games, and let's dive right into that. Let's start with the good, and the good was UCLA. They looked fantastic in the opener, especially Zach Charbonnet. He was outstanding. First Pac-12 player with three rushing touchdowns, 15 yards per rush in a game since back in 2017. They got it done all over the place, though. Defense was outstanding. The blocked punt here. A final in this one, UCLA gets the win. And, and Lugs, when you look at this game, 44-10 to 10 the final, what was your biggest takeaway about the Bruins? Well, I thought there was a, a talent discrepancy, obviously, between them and Hawaii. But, you know, in the opening game, you want to play well in the kicking game. You want to be as error-free as possible. You don't want to be sloppy with penalties. You want to be able to run the football effectively. I thought that UCLA looked like they were very well prepared. And you know what? Why shouldn't they? This is 10 starters back on offense, 10 starters back on defense. You have a healthy quarterback in Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And so there were a lot of arrows pointing up for the UCLA Bruins. I was very impressed with their performance. And now with the game looming with LSU, the only thing I would say, y'all, is that DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, is not going to beat LSU completing 50% of his passes. Yeah, Lugs, and honestly, I, I spoke with one of the players from uh, UCLA this past weekend after the game, and he felt like they played well, uh, which obviously the score would indicate that, but there's a different confidence about this UCLA team coming into this year. They feel really good with where Chip Kelly's at. Uh, I, I kept up with a couple of their players over the summer, and they felt like he's ha he kind of had a curve, not necessarily a learning curve, but kind of coming back into the college game, getting back to where he was at both mentally and, and just kind of schematically at Oregon from the Eagles. And they, they feel like they're back in a good place. He feels like they're back in a place where they're more focused. The guys have bought into it. That's what the players told me directly. So I think you're going to see that come out on the field and show up in certain games now. How far that takes them, it's hard to say. But uh, they are feeling good that better, I'm sorry, better than they have in past years. Chip Kelly's first time starting the season off with a win in his four seasons there. Lugs, when you look at what's next and what lies ahead, you mentioned LSU. But what's yeah. the ceiling big picture for this team this year? Well, I think they've got to stay healthy. And again, they've had injury issues with Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And this is a veteran team that needs their best under center. As I referenced, you know, completing 50% of your passes, he's too talented to have that type of outing in the passing game. And I don't think that's going to beat the better teams in the conference. So he's going to have to perform at a higher level. But all of this does, in my opinion, is solidify how strong top to bottom not only the Pac-12 South is, but the Pac-12 overall. A lot of buzz about Arizona State. A lot of buzz about Utah. A lot of buzz about USC. And now with how UCLA performed in week one, not to make too many knee-jerk reactions, this is going to be a really knockdown, down drag out fight each and every week in that conference. Yeah, Lugs, and to your point, I, I think that the Pac-12 has kind of strengthened itself here a little bit, whereas, you know, we were kind of able to look at this conference the past handful of years and be like, oh, well, 
they've had better years as a collective group, but they're kind of on the come up here. And I think honestly that helps Chip Kelly out a little bit because the conference is stronger, but I do think they're going to have a better year this year. I do think that they're, they could have some ups, ups and downs, but you're going to see, I think, a consistency out of UCLA that they haven't had the past few years. We will see a great start for them. LSU is up next. And let's go to something else we saw this weekend. Not as great a start for Nebraska as you take a look at how things went as they faced off with Illinois and got out of hand early second quarter. Illinois down, but first and goal. Mike Epstein runs it in. Illinois ties the game at nine. A little while later, Adrian Martinez taking it off, taking it in. And then you see the pressure just comes on and on again. Just the second time the Illini have taken down Nebraska in back-to-back seasons. The first time since 1923 and 1924. So Scott Frost troubles there at his alma mater have not been easy early. 12-21 and 21 record. The second worst in Nebraska football history among coaches who were there for three years. The kicker, both the previous coaches coached for more than 50 years. Harry, fans, not happy about the way things started again this year. They let everybody know on Twitter, as they always do, when you look at what's going on there with Nebraska. Overreaction, right on track. How you feeling? So part of me wants to say it's an overreaction, and the other part of me is like, well, it's not. Because if you look at how Nebraska has been the past two decades, the last time they were a top-five team was over a decade ago, and the time before that was a decade ago. So it's, this isn't necessarily new for Nebraska. Now, obviously, they had better years under Bo Pelini, but I think Nebraska fans, like, it's the thing that's great about college football, right, is these overreactions because no matter what team it is, you think that your team every single year is supposed to win a national championship. Now, the funny part with Nebraska is their fans, like, truly believe this, right? Like, they think they saved college football last year. They thought they were going to go into Columbus last year and beat Ohio State. That obviously did not happen. But this kind of has to be, a, I think, a wake-up call for Nebraska fans for you to really look at your program and take a realistic view and, and be like, okay, what are we, right? Like, the way the history of college football has gone, there have been eras where certain teams dominate, right? We saw it with USC before. We've seen it with Miami. We're seeing it now with Alabama. Nebraska, you guys had your time, and I think, Lou's, you could probably elaborate a little bit better on why that's not necessarily the case anymore. Well, listen, in my view, this is all about recruiting and not Scott Frost's inability to recruit, not Bo Pelini's inability to recruit. This is a different college football landscape. This is not 105 scholarships and unlimited walk-ons, 95 scholarships and unlimited walk-ons. This is about player pool. Take a look at this map right here. If you include Nebraska in the six states that border it, look at that number to your right. 13 ESPN 300 top recruits, all right? Not one of them is committed to Nebraska. And four of the 13 have yet to make a verbal commitment. In contrast, Texas, 47 ESPN top 300 recruits. So if you're Scott Frost, if, if you are the coaching staff at Nebraska in the accelerated pace that we have found recruiting to be over the last 15 years, how are you supposed to get kids to get on your campus as freshmen, sophomores, juniors? How are you supposed to get kids to drive in their car that are top-level players? I'm talking about players that are going to select Clemson or Alabama or Texas A&M. It's virtually impossible. You are so far behind the eight ball, and it doesn't matter what your history, what your tradition is, what your facilities are like, what your fan base and your support is like. How do you get those guys on campus? When, when a Dabo Sweeney could throw a rock outside of his office, 
and in 250 miles in any direction, hit every elite player in, college, in high school football, and they can all drive to his campus as many times as they want. That's a challenge regardless of who the coach is at Nebraska. And, Luke, that's the off-the-field stuff, kind of the behind-the-scenes about what's yeah. going on there. And Scott Frost said after this game, he said to, to the press, that felt like the same movie as last year. We've got to change it so we don't get the same movie again on the field. What changes need to be made with this team? They have to be more prepared. Um, this was a team that had multiple snafus, and I understand it's, it's, it's week one, but you, you, you see a, a guy fielding a punt right there on the one-yard line. All right, you have two missed extra points by a kicker who was all Big Ten a year ago. And then later on in the game, after a, a strip sack, and all of a sudden this ball gets scooped, and now points and momentum has swung in the favor of Illinois, we fast forward to the fourth quarter, and there's a situation on offense where the sideline in Nebraska thinks it's fourth down and it was first down. So they run a quarterback sneak on first down, thinking it's fourth down and wasted a down. So you know, the, the in-game management of the football team and how the football team is performing, and then to exacerbate matters, you end up going on the road to a team that obviously was very well prepared with Brett Bielema's Illini, but you get beat by their backup quarterback. And so this is, this is not good. Recruiting notwithstanding, the on-field performance and how these players have, sh I think, shown a lack of focus is alarming. Nebraska will have their home opener next week. Oklahoma just three weeks away, so something to keep an eye on with the Illini. Also want to keep an eye on Brandon Peters. He did leave the game with an injury. No update yet on his status, something that we will continue to monitor throughout the week here on College Football Live. Still to come, we are not done yet. Week one is just around the corner, and, man, it is a great slate of games. We'll talk big games, and what are the big questions we need answered? More from Harry and Tom after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back into College Football Live. Kelsey Riggs with you alongside Tom Luganville and Harry Lyles Jr. Week one slate is set, and we've got some big games. We also have some big questions that we want to get answered from week one. So let's start with the defending national champs, Alabama headed down to Coral Gables to take on Miami, a team hoping to surprise some people week one. Lugs, what question do you want answered about Alabama this week? What drop-off, if any, will we see in terms of offensive production? It's just hard to envision with what we saw from this team each of the last two years to have the losses of a Devontae Smith, a Najee Harris, a Mac Jones, and a re retooled offensive line, not to mention a new offensive coach and a new play caller in Bill O'Brien. We become so conditioned to just see Alabama hit the ground running without skipping a beat. Will we see that in week one? And I think the other question for me is, how good is Bryce Young going to be throwing the football from within the pocket? And how much were they going to alter this offense to move the pocket, allow him to get out, create some plays with his legs, 
throw on the perimeter. So maybe a little bit of a new wrinkle and a new look to this offense while the offensive line continues to hopefully start to come together. Yeah, Lugs, I think those make a lot of sense. Then for me with Miami, you know, we know what De'Aaron King is, right? But for me, I want to know, is this pass rush going, going to be just as vicious as it was last year? They lost Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche to the NFL, two guys that were just absolute monsters, right? Two guys that you would really want going up against this sort of Alabama team, right? Because we know that Alabama is always going to reload. You've got five and four stars, you know, behind those ones that were previously there. But with this new look Alabama offense, you would you like to have that kind of experience in your pass rush because we always know if you're trying to win football games in the modern times, you've got to be able to get to the quarterback. Now, they brought in transfer DeAndre Johnson from Tennessee. They've got some guys that have been there that they think can step up and, and kind of make those kinds of plays. But you would kind of hope to come to this game hoping that that's going to look the same. We don't know if that's going to be the case for Miami, but if they can get that kind of production, I don't know necessarily that they could beat Alabama, but it's not, it's going to help them without a doubt. Big 3.30 game September 4th on ABC, and that one is at Mercedes-Benz, so keep an eye on that one. That's one big game. Another game feels like a national championship caliber game in September, Labor Day weekend, Georgia and Clemson going head-to-head. -head. JT Daniels, DJ Uyangale, who will win in the end? This is going to be a highlight reel waiting to happen. So, Lugs, when you look at this Clemson team, what are your expectations and the big questions that you need answered this time next week? How will they hold up in the offensive line versus arguably one of the top one, two, or three defensive front sevens in all of college football with the University of Georgia? I think as you watched Clemson un, uh, unfold throughout the year a year ago, you started to realize they weren't overly talented in the offensive line. And I think Davos had 69 players drafted during his tenure. Very few of those, I believe less than five, have actually been in the offensive line. You lose Jackson Carmen, your right tackle that's slated to start for you is only about six foot two. And so not only do you have to replace, you know, a Travis Etienne in his production, an Amari Rogers in his production, you're getting Justin Ross back, you're replacing Trevor Lawrence. Can you hold up on offense up front so that you can give your quarterback time to gel? You can get some semblance of a run game going. And I think the offensive line is going to be the focal point of Clemson's success or failures in this game. Guys, my big question here is, was that Georgia offense that we saw the last four games of 2020 what they're going to look like in 2021, or was that just some sort of a hot streak, right? Like, JT Daniels came in in all year, right? We knew that Georgia had weapons. They had the unfortunate opt-out of Jamie Newman uh, right before the season started. They had Stetson Bennett. You know, they, they now have JT Daniels, who when he came in, threw for over 1,200 yards, completed about 68% of his passes, I think, threw for 10 touchdowns and had two picks. So if he's able to have that kind of production this year, then this is this could potentially be one of those years where Georgia does live up to their expectations. Now, I would like to see, hey, is that going to be the sort of hot streak that we saw? A lot of fans here in the state of Georgia like to compare the, the Bulldogs' pain with Falcons' pain, right, where the Falcons <laughs> got hot in 2016, made the Super Bowl, and, you know, I heard that they blew some sort of lead. Uh, so is it going to be that kind of a hot streak, or is this Georgia team actually legit? Because they do have the weapons, and it does appear that they have the quarterback now to get that done. 28-3 to three sounds familiar there, I think. I don't know, just going off the top of my head. That's going to be a big one, 7.30 on ABC in Charlotte. Let's take a look at a game that's going to be actually Sunday, Notre Dame and Florida State. Florida State, what will they be able to do in Mike Norvell's second year, and who's going to be the quarterback? We still do not know. Notre Dame, a lot of turnover on offense this year. What will their calling card be? Lugs, when you look at this group, 
Uh, Harry, rather, first, when you look at this game, what big questions do you need answered this week? Kelsey, it's like you said, I want to know what this Notre Dame offense is going to look like. Uh, obviously, they named Jack Cohn the starter, I believe, a week or two ago. Uh, they're expecting big things out of him. There's some reshuffling on that line. I think what we're going to see from them is a lot of leaning on Kyron Williams, who was really great last year. He didn't necessarily get all the attention. He had a pretty good game against Clemson. Uh, he's honestly, in my opinion, one of the better backs in all of college football. He's, he can do, you know, whether it's pass catching, run, obviously. He's a good blocker. I think they're going to lean on him a little bit if they don't get everything that they think that they're going to get out of Jack Cohn. But I think that Notre Dame offense is going to be a thing to watch here because I think they've got some more returning guys on defense that they're going to be able to trust and lean on a little bit more so than that side of the football. Well, those guys on defense are going to be guessing. I would bet right up to about Saturday night as to who <laughs> Florida State's quarterback is going to be a little bit of gamemanship here from Mike Norvell. Hey, listen, I would do the same thing. You have Mackenzie Milton, all right? You got Jordan Travis. You've got two diversely different skill sets at quarterback. And one thing that defensive coordinators do not enjoy doing is having to prepare for an athletic quarterback that could be used as a designated runner. All right, well, maybe they do start Mackenzie Milton. Maybe they start Travis. Maybe they play them both. And now all of a sudden you've got an awful lot to prepare for. These Notre Dame coaches are having to go back to UCF tape. All right. They're having to go back to the last two years at Florida State. So there's a lot to prepare for. If, if Mike Norville just names the starter right now, then you kind of have a sense of what you're going to get. I think this is a smart move, and Notre Dame's going to have to adapt on the fly. I was just in Tallahassee this week, tried to find it out, and I, I couldn't figure it out, Lugs. No, no, no. hints given about what's going <laughs> to happen when they take the field on Sunday. Looking forward to that game between Notre Dame and Florida State. When we come back, college football, it was different last year, but it did bring some big-time surprises. Who will be the breakout team this year? Can other teams continue? More after this. Tom Luganbill with you on College Football Live, and it is time to name some starters. The Vols officially going with Michigan transfer Joe Milton III as quarterback. Milton threw for 80 passes, over 1,000 yards, four touchdowns, four interceptions, and his five appearances with the Wolverines. Beat out Virginia Tech transfer Hendon Hooker and Harrison Bailey for the starting job. And at SMU, the wait is over. Tanner Mordecai going to be the guy, the Oklahoma transfer, officially named the week one starter against Adeline Christian this week. Been a quarterback battle all offseason. Mordecai, though, says he is comfortable with this offense and feeling confident. As we get ready for week one of college football, you take a look at our Thursday night slate. Going to be some great games to start things off. One of those teams on there, Coastal Carolina, ranked in the top 25 in the preseason polls. They surprised some teams last year really had a breakout season so that got us thinking as we get ready for another year who else might continue their breakout campaign that we saw from last year to be able to build on that and we'll talk Coastal Carolina in a second but Harry let's talk first about Cincinnati we like what we saw from them last year what do you expect this season I think we're going to see a lot of good stuff out of them this year as well I listen they have a great quarterback in Desmond Ritter 
who, who improved a lot as the year went along in 2020. It was almost kind of freaky to watch, honestly. And they still have a great defense. Now they lost defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman to Notre Dame. But I think that we're still going to see that tenacity out of them that we did last year where they're going to give people fits. And they have Indiana and Notre Dame on the schedule with a buy in between. I think that they could have a big year this year. Well, for me in Northwestern, I think you're going to see a slight dip. Just four starters back on both sides of the football. And Hunter Johnson cannot play the way that he played a couple of years back after transferring in uh, from Clemson. I think they're going to have a lot more help, but I see them taking a bit of a dip. And, Luke's, I got Iowa State here as well. I think they're going to have another good year. I think their biggest obstacle is going to come again with Oklahoma. They split those games last year. They get them again in late November. If they're able to overcome that obstacle, they got two Heisman contenders and Brees Hall and Brock Purdy. I think they're going to have another big year. Well, for me, BYU, and haven't seen them firsthand a year ago, man, you're replacing a legend at quarterback with a freshman. And I think this is going to be a bit of a retooled defense. You don't have as many experienced starts. I like their defensive front. Offensive coordinator moves on to Baylor. Too many changes in Provo for them to duplicate the season they had a year ago. And, hey, what about the fighting Hoosiers, right, up in Indiana? Tom Allen, right? I mean, this team, they've got Michael Penix Jr. back. He's healthy. He had that Superman play against Penn State last year. I think we're going to see another great defense out of them. Uh, you know, they feel like they should have been the Big Ten East winners last year. They're going to try to prove that again this year. They've got some schedule stuff going on, but I think it's going to be another big year in Bloomington. Well, I'll tell you, for me, uh, Coastal Carolina, they're going to have to live up to massive expectations. I think they're talented enough to duplicate the season they had a year ago. But for the first time in program history, guess what? Everybody's patting them on the back, telling them how great they are. They're going to have one of the most studied offseason offenses of this past offseason ever. The offense is so fun if you haven't watched them. They've got their quarterback back. They've got to play at Arkansas State, at App State on back-to-back -back weeks. So the one thing about Coastal is they're talented enough, but they're not sneaking up on anybody this time around. And hopefully we get to see the mullets again this year. That's just a personal <laughs> request. Uh, upset alert. Harry, who are you putting on upset alert this week? Wisconsin, watch out for Penn State. They had a really bad start to 2020. They got stronger as the year went along. They're looking for revenge. Jahan Dotson's going to have a big game against them. Love that pick. I'm going with SC. Watch out for the San Jose State Spartans. I'm just telling you that defensive front for the Spartans is no joke, and the offensive line for SC is still a question mark. College football is back. Week zero already in the books. Week one lies ahead. Lots of games on our ESPN slate of games on Thursday night. We'll be with you throughout the week here on College Football Live following all the storylines to get you ready for Tom Luganville, Harry Lyles Jr. I'm Kelsey Riggs. Y'all have a great day.